Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. everybody, welcome to the session. I'm your host, Justin Crosley, as always. I am back in the studio this week, and this time with not a West Coast brewer. So I'm sure that some of our listeners across the country have gotten a little tired of me only doing local breweries recently, but that's been my thing lately. I've just I've wanted people in the studio as much as possible after a couple years of only doing Zoom shows. But that's been going great, and you can't always interview uh, West Coast breweries, and I like to make exceptions for special people, which is what's happening right now as True North Ale Company is joining me on the session, um, and they are out of is it Ipswich? Ipswich. You do pronounce the W. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ipswich, Massachusetts. Um, also kind of lovingly known as North Boston. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> North, North Shore. North Shore. That's what North, it is. North, okay. north of Boston, yeah. Okay. Good. But, well, because neither of you of my guests today, by the way, have like a heavy Boston accent either. So I didn't know about this whole Boston thing. Uh, but we have Seth Barnum, who's the head brewer at True North Ale Company, and my old friend Tim Griggs, who's the director of Tap Room, uh, director of the Tap Room and Events. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Tim. I haven't seen you since you left Colorado, my friend. Four years, man. I was just doing the math. It's been I four think, years. <laughs> uh, I think I last saw you August of 19, right around there. Okay. And uh, that's that's four years going on now. Sounds about right. For my listeners who, who don't know, uh, Tim was my uh, restaurant manager at the Hop Grenade in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, a great individual to work with. And then him and his family had left for um, New Hampshire at the time. Is that right? 
That is correct. Yeah, that's where okay. we currently reside, and uh, yeah, living here in the East Coast. Yeah, the uh, the frozen tundra of the North Atlantic. <laughs> At least you can not, handle not, it a little bit. Right you, you had some cold in Colorado that you could deal with, but you, I mean, if you don't mind me saying, you're like a Colorado boy through and through. So I didn't know how you were going to hold up out there on the East Coast. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's good. Um, I am a Colorado boy through and through. Absolutely love the heck out of that state and everybody there. So shout out to anybody listening in the old 303. Um, But yeah, New England's been treating me well, you know, Uh, moved here right before the pandemic. And so got to, you know, settle in and get to know New England very well and uh, have been uh, thriving ever since. How many breweries or brew pubs, I don't even know what, have you worked for since leaving Colorado? So I've only worked for two. Okay. Um, I was at a brief stint with Throwback Brewery um, and then Great Marsh Brewing and then now True North. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So you're a brewery guy. You you fit in. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, All right. Before we get to know Seth and the rest of the uh, True North Ale Company story, uh, quick thanks to our sponsors. I got a shout out to More Beer, who's been sponsoring us since day one. Go to morebeer.com. Check them out. Check out their YouTube page, too. I just found out they did a whole YouTube video on my beer festival, which is coming up in March 2024. But go to morebeer.com or search them on YouTube. They're great people. They do great things for uh, the beer world. And I think you'll like what you find over there if if you don't know about them yet. So go check that out and thank them for sponsoring the Brewing Network as they always do. Uh, support all our sponsors, of course, that you'll find over on thebrewingnetwork.com. And if you got any feedback to send us, just send it to feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com and we'll try to get your questions answered. Uh, for our guest today, you can go to truenorthales.com and learn all about them. They've got a great informative website, so if you want to know more and dig into what they're doing over there, uh, you can check it all out at uh, truenorthales.com. All right. And so you're commuting down there uh, from New Hampshire, but you said, Tim, that that's only like 45 minutes, right? Yeah, luckily, uh, I uh, reside in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, which is pretty much right on the border of uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. So hop on the old 95 and head south and then uh, end up to it's about a 45 minute drive from my house to the front door of the brewery. So it's not too bad. No, that's not bad. If you drive 45 minutes in Colorado, you're still like you've gone four blocks. (laughs) Uh, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> There's open pastures and cows on the east and, you know, giant mountains to the west. So yes, yeah. it takes a while. <laughs> nice. And how long have you been now with, with True North, Tim? So I've been with True North for nine months now. Okay. Um, so I recently transitioned on with them um, and came to find out what a great, great group of people these guys are and the knowledge and the brewing. And it's just you know, I, I was kind of looking for that after leaving Colorado, um, and I think I finally found it with these guys. So it's good. Nice. The education, the product, you know, the environment. It's just, it's a really good spot right now. So it's nice. Well, it must be something because it's the first brewery you've been with that you've reached out to me about saying, hey, these guys are making good beer. What do you think? And I said, heck yeah, man. If Tim says the beer's good, I'm in. Let's check it out. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Well, Seth, I have one of your flag, I think it's one of your flagship beers in my glass right now, which is the Holy Schnitt Munich Helles. Um, and this is a, already a fantastic Helles. I'll show it to the, to the camera so folks can see, but, uh, brilliantly clear, had a gorgeous head that I already drank uh, out of it. Uh, so that's gone now. Um, but, uh, just a, a really excellent version of the style, man. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, good to hear. Yeah. Currently 
Schnitt's one of our core four. Um, And it sits right alongside uh, one of our other loggers, uh, Cerveza. And uh, that's paired together currently with uh, Straight Up, our new American IPA, and our flagship, uh, Northern Haze, our Hazy Juicy IPA. What do you sell most of? Uh, far and away, it's Northern Haze. Is apparently. it really? I guess, yeah, Northeast. Yeah. You are the Northeast, aren't you? That's what it's going to be. See, yeah. I still would have bet on on the on like a lager though on the Hellas. I would have because also I feel like you know my family from the East Coast and people I know they're also big lager heads back there too. So is yep. Hellas second? Hellas currently, Tim. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Hellas is currently fourth. Okay, we've had that fourth. brand around for maybe. Two years or so now, um, but Cerveza is a solid second for mm. us. Uh, that Mexican lager has been in our core lineup from from day one in 2017. You won some medals with that too, haven't you? Yeah, we did. Um, so Cerveza was our first uh, GABF medal back in 2020. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, that was silver in pre-mail. Okay. And then... Uh, medaled again in 2021 uh, gold in pre-mail. So that beer has done exceptionally well at competition. Heck yeah. Really great things for us. Nice. Well, what can you tell me about this municalis that's in my glass? Uh, To me, it's very traditional. Is that what you were going for? Yeah, very traditional, you know, you know, down the middle of the road in terms of the style. Um, It's, uh, malt bill consists of two Pilsner malts, a little bit of Carafoam, and then some Hersbrucker and Tet in the boil. Why, why two different Pilsner yeast. Oh, Augustiner yeast, too, of course. Why two different Pilsner malts? So one of those Pils malts for me is, is beautiful, uh, but very doughy, very sweet, very round. Um, and then we use another pills that's a little bit greener, a little bit drier and try and between those two pills malts, try and find a balance where that beer is still up front, malty sweet, um, has some of that nice doughiness, but then finishes dry. Okay. Um, so we're, we're still playing with that blend in terms of how we want that beer to finish, but yeah, that's still an ongoing, ongoing process. Got it. (laughs) And then Augustiner yeast, you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's a solid German choice right there. All my German friends yeah. will say, of course, Augustiner. That's what you use. It's just, yeah. I, I love Augustiner Helles, as a lot of brewers do. And and it's a wonderful strain to, to use in our cellar for German lagers. Nice. I just love it. Well, we're going to get more into lager techniques with you because I've got a bunch of questions on that. But first, I want to learn a little bit more about your your background. Uh, this is not the first brewery you've worked for, uh, I no. gather. Where else have you been? So I got my start in uh, 2011. Uh, worked at Ipswich Ale in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire and had been home brewing for a while and got out of college and decided that I wanted to break into the industry uh took me a little bit until i found the the job at ipswich uh but got my foot in the door there so started uh washing kegs case packing okay and then after a few months got into the cellar and a few months after that was in the brew house um so for maybe two or so years i was the second shift brewer uh five days a week which 
was great for me. Yeah. A lot of work turns and, um, that was a lot of fun. And then right around the time that Ipswich was moving to their new facility from the old original facility that had been built in 91, I believe, um, I was there for about three months at the new place and my then girlfriend had moved back to Portland, Oregon. Um, she had just wrapped up her master's in New York and moved back to Portland. And I said to myself, Hey, why not, you know, go take a chance and see if I can get a job in Portland and, uh, took a leap of faith and moved out there. And I don't know, two weeks later, luckily enough, uh, landed a role at, at Breakside, which was, ah. It's a good brewery. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I learned a ton. It was, it was an amazing two and a half years. Um, and I you know, think about it daily, my ex- experience there. Yeah. I think um, landing a job of all places out there at Breakside is a, is a great stroke of luck there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, extremely lucky. Uh, at that point they had, I believe they had just done about 2000 barrels. I want to say okay. in their new production space. And by the time I left two and a half years later, I think they were around 15,000 or so. Okay. Wow. So a lot of growth, a lot of things happening, um, but just learned so much and um, yeah, just an awesome experience. And a good lager house too. You must've learned some about uh, lager brewing from them too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think at the time we had uh breakside pills, which was my go-to. Yeah. And, we get that Learned down here at the Hopper Nice. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I love that beer. And then did you did you go to school for brewing too, or have you just learned on the job? I did. I did. Um, I was, luckily enough, I received the Glen Hay Falconer scholarship oh, yeah. uh, to attend the World Brewing Academy in uh, at Siebel in Chicago and then Domans in Munich, Germany. Um, that was fall of 2015. Okay. And again, like would not have happened if I hadn't have had worked at Breakside. So nice, yeah. That scholarship yeah. program, which has been around for a while, is such an awesome thing. And we've I've met a few brewers who have been o- awarded that. Um, and, and what? How long is that program that you end up going to in in each place? Uh, that was about, if I remember correctly, three weeks in Chicago, and then uh, we were in Munich for. Two weeks. Okay. And then it was a week and a half of touring around Europe visiting breweries, which was yeah. just insane. That was that was incredible. Heck yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you do that and then what? Do you go back to uh Oregon? Yeah, I went went back to Oregon, um back to Breakside into a new role. Um and that place again, so many things were changing. It was just becoming a different monster. Um, was thinking about, you know, am I a great fit here is, uh, I definitely could have stayed there and kept learning a lot. I, I know I would have, mm-hmm. um, but then that was right around the time where Jake, who is the son of the father son team here at true North okay, had come out. I think he was attending a, a wedding at the time and said, Oh, Hey, by the way, I'm starting a brewery. And in my mind, I was thinking, Oh, they're going to start a nano. They're going to do something relatively small and, yeah. Um, you know, that's cool. That uh, That's going to be great. Uh, and then he said, oh, no, we're going to start a production brewery and <laughs> have a pilot system and a 30-barrel and a system. 
Um, and that really, I was intrigued at that point. Um, okay. So after talking with them for a little bit, made the, made the call that uh, I moved back to the East Coast and, and uh, start with them on the ground floor. So nice. I've been there ever since. So been it almost sounded since. like you weren't sure about staying at Breakside because they were turning into such a production f- facility. But then you were intrigued by True North. Is that not what you were wondering about staying at Breakside? No, no. Uh, they were solidly into that production mode okay but i yeah. think um just a lot of things were changing there in terms of new opportunities opening up and a lot of people were moving positions and okay ultimately you know i think to myself is this do i fit here sure um whereas you know w- with what we've done at true north you know i could start in on the on the ground floor as a head brewer take the things that i learned from Ben and Jacob at Breakside and bring them here. And I was really excited to, you know, nice. kind of try my own hand at it. And would you, do you think you were always looking for a way to, to get back home too, or, or did you not really care about that? Um, maybe not immediately. Okay. Um, but this opportunity presented itself and I think it would have been one of those things that uh, I would have been, you know, wondering, did I make the right call if I didn't, if I didn't go for it? Yeah. Yeah. If I passed on it. Got it. So, um, I love the Northwest. I think the brewing culture is amazing. There's so many talented brewers and breweries in that area. Um, I easily could have stayed there and continued to learn. Um, but the prospect of what these guys were offering was just, it was too good to pass up. Nice. So you moved back home in uh, what year was that? 2017 or so? Uh, that would have been, yeah, tail end of 2016. And then I was started here the first of 2017. Okay, got it. But that was, it wasn't a functioning brewery. You were helping them to build it. Uh, I wouldn't say, in terms of like commissioning the equipment, sure. Helping build it, I'd know. Uh, um, <laughs> okay, yeah. So this 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 building was a foundation when I, when I got here. Okay. Um, so it was really exciting to see, you know, this, the building go up from the ground floor and then go through the whole process of Jake and I, um, all of our equipment is, is, um, DME up in, um, PEI Canada, uh, going through that process of figuring out what we wanted in terms of tank layout and tank design and, and what we wanted the brew houses to be capable of. It was a pretty, pretty awesome experience. How long was the build? The build. Um, so yeah, like I said, when I got here in 2017, um, the shell of the building, I think probably took until March and then it was kind of a long slog until we got equipment in physically into the building the summer of 2017. And then we were, brewing the first week of october 2017 okay so that was our first about a 10 first mo- 10 month plus probably at least from when yeah. you were there yeah yeah that's a long build i thought yeah. all buildings on the east coast were like 300 years old at this point i didn't know you there were any new most most of them are <laughs> okay. um so ipswich ale moved into a, an old tim i don't know if you know about this but um ipswich ale's new location used to be an old uh 
clamming operation, mm. as far as I know. A pack plant or of some sort. But. Nice. So I'm surprised Tim hasn't turned into a fisherman yet out there. Like commercial fisherman, I mean. Oh, yeah. No, it's got the beard for it. Yeah, I've gone out. Uh, I've gone out a couple times. It's fun. I actually took my son uh, for his birthday. We went deep sea fishing uh, this year, so it's uh, nice. it's available. Yeah, but you know everything in moderation there, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right, let's do this. We're going to take a quick break. We've got some more beer to try and more to learn about True North Ale Company. So hang in there. You're listening to the session, and we'll be right back. The leader in affordable, high-quality kegerators is here. Introducing Comos, the kegerator designed with serious beer drinkers in mind. It features an all-stainless steel draft tower, a major upgrade over traditional chrome-plated brass towers, and Comos keeps your new tower cold with their air-cooled tower fan, wrapping your beer lines in frigid coolness. Your beer is poured from innovative forward-sealing faucets that don't leak, so they stay cleaner for longer. Dual gas inlets on the rear of the fridge allow you to run both CO2 and nitrogen gas. Serve your beer with CO2, serve your kegged wine, or even cocktails with nitrogen. The digital temperature display has the largest range available, allowing you to use the Comos Kegerator for fermentation if you need to. And now Comos Kegerators ship with duo-tight draft fittings for that click-to-connect assembly we've all dreamed of. Buy direct from ComosDraft.com and receive free shipping on your order. That's K-O-M-O-S Draft.com. Welcome back to the session. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We are still speaking with True North Ale Company, and um, they're out of Ipswich, Mass. Um, and I'm drinking more beer uh, from them that they were kind enough to to send us samples of, so we're going to be getting into that. A um, little more about the brewery, though. Um, you mentioned when I was talking to you in the last segment that you've got, um, that you, when they were building it and talking to you about it, they talked about having a pilot system and then a big old production system 30 barrels i think you said um so talk to me about the pilot system and how that works into your into your brewing so our pilot i don't know if you can see is right over my left shoulder oh that's what's behind you okay make that out yeah little two vessel uh five barrel uh pilot system okay uh and that feeds four 10 barrel fvs okay and then from there uh those fvs feed into a 10 barrel bright so a lot of that beer is either, you know, our ongoing R and D beers that we've done in years past that move through the tap room or in, on the occasion that we want to try out a new core brand and, and work that through the system. We'll, we'll do that on the, on the pilot as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, pretty simple, no frills brew house, but, um, very nice to, make word on for sure does pretty much everything that ends up in the production brew house have to go through the the pilot brewery first you to get it right for some of the initial core brands they just started out on the 30 barrel system okay um yeah the way that we started out there were a few that ownership had picked and we were we were just gonna get right into that as a as a 30 barrel um brew house size got it um but things like straight up holy schnitt um some of those core brands that we've tried out after that initial round of uh core brands that we started with have gone through the the pilot system and we've trialed you know different approaches and different hot blends in the case of straight up uh and run those through um panels basically in our tap room got it 
which is my next question kind of for Tim to, to see how this fits into the tap room. How many taps are you guys pouring, Tim? Uh, we have 19 uh, taps that are open and running at all time. Um, and then it, whenever we run into an influx, we go to some canned pours. So, okay. you know, it's currently we're pouring about 23, but 19 on draft with a couple of canned pours here and there. And is it all true north or do you do guest beers too? No, it's all true north. Everything we pour, we make in-house. Okay. So then that tells me that the pilot system is is pretty active then. Not not just doing R&D for other stuff, but you got to keep the tap room full with that pilot system, I assume. Yeah, we have a whole series called our yeah, Explorer series. Um, and the Explorer series is kind of like, you know, what we get to uh, explore with and uh, put into cans. And, you know, sometimes I'll make it on the 30-barrel system instead of the pilot system just because we know the recipe is so good and so delicious okay. that we're going to say, hey, we're going to, you know, you know, make a big batch of this and sell through it in cans and draft from the tap room. So. Okay, got it. And Seth, is that you manning the uh, the the pilot system, or are you still just kind of running things from out here? Uh, the latter, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the vast majority of brew house turns, uh, Alyssa Shook, our senior brewer, is responsible for. Okay. Um, formerly of Sun River and Fifty Fifty Brewing oh, and nice. Truckee Brewing. So, uh, but grew up in Amesbury, so she she also you know moved back home herself. Sounds like a um, sounds like a ski bum turned brewer to me. In the just by the uh, locations she, you chose, she could answer that question. <laughs> okay, <but. laughs> yeah. just going gonna... by the locations. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Might be onto something. I don't. I don't want to say too much, but understand. Um, yeah. yeah, she's responsible for the vast majority of uh, brew house turns, and also contributes a lot to the R and D. Um, R&D system in terms of, you know, what we're doing in terms of styles or process. Um, okay. Yeah, she's been, she's been awesome. And so Tim, what do you, what's the feedback that you get that you've learned about being in the Northeast and being at, in this tap room about, and maybe differences from like Colorado drinkers from West coast drinkers. Have you noticed any trends or, you know, that you see in, in the tap room there that are any different from other places you've been? I mean, they don't call it New England IPA for nothing, yeah, you know. So yeah. It's it's haze bombs out here, you know, haze and haze and haze. Um so how, how many of your how many of your taps are like dedicated to hazy beer just out of curiosity? So currently out of the 19 we're pouring, I have 9 IPAs on and okay. 6 of those are six. hazy IPAs wow. and then 3 yeah. West Coast or clear IPAs. Okay. Wow, you're so, not kidding. They're really into not, it. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, really into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have um, at our at Hayes's peak here on the West. We still only had two to three hazy beers on tap at a time. Now we're down to one. But I don't think we're reflective of like California. I think there's plenty of other breweries and bars in California that are having six hazies on too. Uh, just our customers just are kind of a little more West Coast. But yeah, the trend has not gone away. That's not what I mean to say. It just, we just kind of notice people are like, oh, we're fine. As long as you always have one or two hazy choices for us, we're fine. That's what we see here. It sounds like that would not be nearly enough for you guys. Uh, it's the opposite. So as long as we have one or two West Coast IPAs, yeah. they're fine. Got you know, it. like give me that, give me that West Coast, give me that piney, you know, super bitter, delicious hops. Um, okay, but great. I mean, they're both great. I mean, you've done you know hazy versus clear battles. Yeah. For how 
years, you know? So Well, exactly. All- and that's part of why I'm asking what you're seeing there, too. This year, for the first time, we just talked about it this week. That's always our S- one of our SF Beer Week events, Hazy versus Clear. We've done it for at least six years. I, wa- I want to say maybe even seven. Um, this year, we're, sw- we're just switching it to East Coast versus West Coast. And we're going to invite three breweries from the East Coast and then, you know, pick three here. But we're not going to we're not going to give any guidelines. We're going to let the East Coast brewers send us whatever they want to send us. If that happens to be a a hazy beer, that's fine. And if not, that's fine, too. We wanted to we're finally mixing it up because we feel like we've had that debate here at the Hop Grenade enough already. Um, (laughs) That now we're like, well, why don't we just see what East Coast versus West Coast brewers do with no rules given to them? So we're trying that this year. We'll see. Nice. Sounds like a good plan. I'm hoping for some mean loggers, to be honest with you. That's kind of what I'm I'm hoping we get sent. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, we do a little dry hop lager, too. So, you know, it's sneaking in there, some hoppy loggers. And so yeah. still hop heads, right? So you, just because they're haze bros doesn't mean they're not hop heads. You still got, you know, people love their hops out there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the beer in my glass before we learn more about the brewery. And I've got your, uh, I guess it's like a, is it Belgian inspired or Belgian in, Belgian style blonde ale in my, in my glass? Belgian style blonde. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Vincian? Vincian, yeah. Vincian. There we go. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, it uh, already on the can has got the logo right there that you've won a World Beer Cup award. It's, it's right there and for all the world to see. So I like that. Tell me about the beer. So Vincian, um, yeah, Belgian style blonde ale. Um, again, two different pills malts. Um, there's some Vienna in there, some aromatic, some flaked oat, um, some candy syrup as well, just to bump up the ABV and keep the the finish nice and dry. Uh, Styrian Goldings to bitter, some Tet uh, mid boil, and then. Um, you know, the main focus in this, in this brand is definitely the, the fermentation, the yeast character. So we, we ferment this beer with, um, uh, a shoof yeast. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say it, you got, you can always, you can always taste a shoof, I think, uh, but yeah. you never know till someone says it and you're like, ah, oh, that's that kind of familiar flavor that I'm getting out of it. Little, little phenolic, Yeah, you know, nice, nice ester to it. But not too much, and and definitely low on some of the esters that um that I don't love, like bubble gum. Like it's low on yeah. the bubble gum. It's pretty low on the clove. Um, it's much more of like a mild. Like to me, that beer and that yeast is a perfect introductory Belgian beer for mm-hmm. for folks. Like here, try this beer. It's not going to taste like an American beer, but it's also not going to be so crazy different that people are like, well, I guess I don't like Belgian beer. Um, right. Right. It just kind of has like a mellow thing to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a nice beer. This sells well for you. It's it, like, this is one of your core brands too. It, it was in the past. Okay. Um, it's, you know, I wouldn't say quite seasonal at this point, but we're brewing it a little bit less frequently than we were initially. Okay. Um, it still has, it does great in the tap room. Um, again, kind of as a, as you point to is a, is a gateway beer, you know, Tim, I don't know how you guys are pushing it these days, but I know when we first started, it was, it was one of those beers that someone comes in. Um, they're not necessarily a beer person. They like wine and Sion was, was the one that we would try and okay. 
introduce them to. So that's exactly what we do right now. Anybody who walks in and has that, I don't drink beer, that's the beer that I pour for them. Got it. I say, all right, then try this. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it is so mild. And being a Belgian, it doesn't have all those big, strong characteristics that we know from doubles and triples and all that. It's just a really smooth, entry level Belgian and a crossover or a gateway beer for, you know, craft beer people or to become craft beer people. And that's that's what I love about it. Yeah. I love to hear it, too, that it's doing well, because, again, on the West Coast, Belgians are kind of, it's a tough thing right now. We we carry, le- we're a bottle shop also, and we carry less and less Belgian bottles because our consumers are just sort of buying less and less of them. So we love it when I see breweries doing well with this on draft, in cans. Like, a 16-ounce can of Belgian Blonde is the coolest thing. All right. Well, what else can you tell us uh, uh, about the, the maybe the fermentation process with this beer too, Seth? Uh, because like temperature has a lot to do with what you're getting uh, out of esters and yeast. Am, am I right about that? So you got to kind of dial that yep. in first. So what do you? What's you? Do you like to go colder because of that to to keep it contained? What do you do? So yeah, typically we'll knock this brand out at 68 degrees. Um, set the glycol to 75, let it ramp over the next 12 hours at the start of fermentation. Um, we'll under pitch with this strain. So we're, we're hopefully driving semester with that as well. Uh, after about three days, we're getting towards the end of, of ferment. We'll cap and spoon, let the brand condition warm for about 10 or so days, at which point we'll, make sure that we're our VDK is clean and uh, gravity stable and then start to slow crash down to um, 30 degrees Fahrenheit for anywhere from two to three weeks depending on the production schedule. Mm. Well, I don't know if you're still like R and Ding this beer, but I don't think there's a thing I, I would change. Certainly not about that fermentation profile. I think the fermentation profile is like absolutely perfect. One of the best Belgian blondes I've tasted. Yeah, it's good to hear. Thank you. If I would do anything, not that you're asking for my opinion, a little more carbonation is about it. But that might yeah, have been uh, the, yep. that might have been a canning thing too, right? Like you might have had it yep. nailed uh, w- exactly where you want it, but sometimes it's just at the canning line, right? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do wonder how much we're losing in that canning process. Mm-hmm. I, we're typically for this brand, we're, Anywhere from two eight five to two nine in the bright, and then we're losing carb at, at the canning process. Then uh, yeah, and it's hard yeah, to that, compensate. It's funny for that. You, you mentioned that it's a yeah hard to compensate for it, uh, especially with our canning line. Um, but it's funny you bring that up because that that is a common note we'll get from judges. Uh, um, yeah, carbonation is low for the style, if if anything. Well, and either. And- either in my experience, judging too, you when a beer is so good <laughs> and you have to start finding other things of why it's not a perfect beer, you start to mention things like that, right? But yeah. what's funny about it too is that even with the, the slightly low carbonation, the mouthfeel is still really nice, right? So it's not like it's messing up a whole bunch of other things in the beer. The beer is just so delightful. It's just one of those things where, yeah, if I was a judge, I'd be like, well, I got to tell you something constructive here. Uh, it's just yeah, that. Yeah, right. You know, um, if we're paying good money to enter competition, we want some sort of feedback, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, but that's, yeah, that's just an, another d- uh, delicious beer. Well, 
So I do want to talk more with you about fermentation, especially now that I'm tasting your, your product and you, you just seem to have fermentation dialed in. Um, I was at, you're a lager house too, in, in some ways with the, with the Munich Hellas. Um, something that you put in your notes, I always send my guests a, a pre-interview and you were talking about trying to get your lagers right without a rise in temperature for a diacetyl rest. And I thought it was interesting that you mentioned it timing-wise because I've had a couple brewers on recently who have made the same comment in the middle of an interview, and it's gone right over my head. So I didn't like I didn't like dial in on it, and I've had some listeners write to me like, "Hey, Justin, you're fucking up over there because you've got these brewers saying some cool things they're doing, and you're not asking them about that thing that they do, right?" So. All lager brewers have to figure out this diacetyl problem. Actually, not just lager brewers, but uh, especially then with lager brewers. And and because of the co- the cooler temps, the traditional way to deal with things would be to like do a rise in temperature, right? And try to let the right. yeast do its work to clean up the beer. But a couple of brewers, including you recently, have said they're trying to get a diacetyl cleanup done. I don't even know if we can call it a diacetyl rest anymore. You tell me without a temperature raise. So I'm, I'm super curious about this process. Yeah. So this is something that we're really only trying out currently on our R and D side of things for our loggers. For anything like Cerveza, our Mexican lager or Holy Schnitt, our Munich Hellas, where tank time is still uh, vital to us. And it, it, our loggers have to fit within that mix of all the ales that we were looking to produce through our production brewing side of the operation. Um, those, those beers still, we'll, we'll give those uh, maybe with a third of the fermentation remaining, we'll let those swing from fermentation temp up to about 60 degrees Fahrenheit um, to let them finish in condition and, and, um, so that within typically a, a two-week ferment, we're, we're confident that if we start to slow crash that beer, that BDK is clean and, and we're not going to have that diacetyl in the finished beer. Um, okay. So we, really, we haven't given that a shot on the production side, but um, again, kind of back to our, our tap room and how much beer we have on tap and how much beer that we're capable of putting through the, the R&D system um, you know, to have 10 or excuse me, four, uh, 10 barrel FEs, we can, we can put a lot of beer through that system and it's a lot of beer in Ipswich mass. So I'm trying to be better about, you know, can we utilize that tank space, um, to give more fermentation time to some of our brands? And is that an opportunity to, try some new techniques um, and, and really, you know, what we're talking about here is, is just uh, a longer low and slow fermentation without uh, a temp swing. Okay. Um, so you have to have the luxury of being able to wait longer. Like you're saying you kind yeah. of do sometimes. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's number one. Right. Um, but then it, you have to know that it works too, because uh, I mean, my gut was was a rise in temperature always mm-hmm. about in about decreasing the time, and not just that that's what had to be done to clean up VDK. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, no, you make a fair point. I no, I think um, in terms of the the process that we're using now, it does we 
basically given an extended fermentation that that does add to the length of that initial fermentation. Yeah. Um, but my understanding when, again, back at Breakside, when they utilize that temp swing, um, was ultimately not necessarily to decrease tank time, but really to make sure that you had a clean beer on the, on the back end. That's exactly. Okay. So that's what I'm asking, which is why you have yeah. to sort of experiment with it. And I think why other brewers are experimenting with it. Cause it just, just more time doesn't necessarily solve the, the problem. Right. No. So, no. yeah. Okay. Um, so what have the results uh, been with your, with your tests on the R and D system? Uh, it, well, it's still early going. We have, um, at this point, we have a Dunkel lager that is um, still mid-ferment. Um, we've stepped down from fermentation temp slowly down to about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's still conditioning, uh, finishing that fermentation, and we'll check in on it, uh, I think, tomorrow. Uh check for stability and then continue that crash down to 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Uh, we do have a Bohemian Pilsner that just came on tap. We brewed in September. That was the, was the first beer that we put through that, uh, fermentation, uh, program. Okay. Um, and you know, so far, I don't, I don't know what, how Tim feels about it, but in terms of, uh, diacetyl in the finished beer, I think there is a little bit, but appropriate. I think for me, I think that it's appropriate. Uh, it's an appropriate level. Okay. Um, yeah. But that's with, you know, that's our first, uh, attempt at working through that process. And we'll see what, uh, this German lager strain with our Dunkel, we'll see what that result looks like in the next month and a half. Okay. Yeah, Tim, do you have your, your, your typical beer nerds, like, and I say that affectionately, as we have here at the Hop Grenade who are, who are telling you exactly what's wrong with the beer and mentioning diacetyl and anything else going on? Um, you know, uh, luckily, uh, no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a lot of, uh, of new beer drinkers who get to come to our uh, establishment. You know, okay. we do have our senior vets, you know what I mean? But we don't have those beer nerds, as we say, we're scientifically breaking everything down, yeah, you know, right, yeah. luckily you are our location. We're right on the ocean. We're right next to cranes beach. And so we get a lot, a lot of tourists and a lot of new fresh faces that come in oh, cool. um, during the time to where they just hear the lures of great beer and they show up and we're able to pour them great beers. So luckily, you know, no, yeah, um, yeah. but the feedback is always warranted and always wanted. Sure. Sure. So Seth, when you're testing this, are you doing, do you guys have like, what is it? The something spectrometer that you're testing for this, or are you like warming no. up a glass of beer and test and smelling yeah. and take, you're doing the, yeah. the, the warm glass test? Yeah, yes. no, I wish, I, I wish we had the, the type of equipment that could measure VDK, but um, yeah. that yeah. is not in the, not there yet. Yeah, not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So the the last brewery we had on that was that was mentioning this was uh, was Russian River, um, and we were talking about diacetyl. We were actually talking about in terms of hop creep, um, and even though Russian River does have the equipment that we're discussing that you wish you had, 
they also do the sensory test anyway. They do they do both, which I made fun of them for. I was like, "Why did you spend a billion dollars on the on the on the thing, and you're still doing the sensory the test?" And he said, "Yeah, well, you know, it's important. He just thinks it's important to do an analog test, you know." Yeah. So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I haven't tasted any diacetyl in these, even in trace appropriate okay. amounts. Uh, so, but they're probably not. Maybe they're not part of your experiments just yet. But um, and so, let me ask this: what's the what's the point? Uh, does do we think that a temperature rise hurts things? Hurts other things and other flavors? Is that why you might try to eliminate the this traditional part of the process? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, something else to try uh, for us. It's really, you know, what does that result look like on the back end? Is is a longer, lower, uh, slower fermentation going to result in a in a cleaner lager? Yeah. Um, for us right now, I think given uh, production cellar tank constraints, it's <laughs> probably not going to feed into the production side of things but okay if it's a fun thing to play with on the r&d system and and we have the the tank time why yeah. not try something a little different and see what the result looks like that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and i was wondering about that too because it does sound like because in the end it is less if efficient so to me you'd have to be just super hardcore about how your lager tastes um or that it would save time or money and it sounds like it's not going to do either of those things it's more just informational right like let's just figure yeah. out yeah. what this does yeah. yep okay all right fair enough hey let's take another quick break because i've got to go grab another couple of your beers we're going to move from uh what i have so i had a lager i had a belgian blonde and then now i'm going to do some ipas uh one of those is like it would go in the experimental ipa category so we'll talk about that is the other one a west coast or is it a hazy it uh west coast it's yeah bright american ipa okay All right, we're going to do that when we come back. You're listening to The Session and True North Ale Company. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Their website features real-time inventory, which means if you can put it in your cart, they can guarantee it'll ship the same day by 4 p.m. on weekdays. Want easy and simple electric brewing? Check out the new Series 2 Mash and Boil, featuring an elevated grain basket so you don't have to calculate sparge water. Williams also features the full Kegland line, everything from Brewzilla to Maltzilla and a huge selection of duo-tight fittings. Looking for a kegerator? Look no further than the Kegland Series X and Plus kegerators, which feature four and eight keg capacity in a compact footprint. And free shipping to the lower 48. Interested in distilling? Look up their proven Williams American bourbon and brandy kits, as well as complete distilling equipment packages and conversion kits for popular systems like the Mash and Boil, Anvil, and the Grainfather. Check them out today. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection. Welcome back to the session. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We are still speaking with True North Ale Company. We've got Seth and and Tim on the on the show with me today. Happy to have you guys here, and thanks for for spending the time with us. I know it's East Coast time out there, so uh, thanks for for working after hours to drink beer with me. I appreciate that. Of course, it's a tough job, but 
Someone's yeah. got to do it, you know. Someone's got to do it. Sign <laughs> me up. Let me ask you this, just random, you know, how do you talk about the difference in West Coast and East Coast without a little bit of talk about the weather? Um, do you guys, I mean, is your brewery very seasonal in that sense where you're about to see a, a long, slow winter or, or because it's a tourist destination anyway, as you kind of said, Tim, do you, are you able to, to keep riding it out? Just curious. Uh, luckily enough, we have a great community around us. Okay. I mean, uh, we're just like 20 minutes, 15 minutes away from Gloucester. Um, we okay. have Ipswich. We're right next to Newburyport. We're 20 minutes away from there. So we have enough people around us, you know, who support us because as you're seeing, we make great beer, yeah. you know, we're, we're doing some good things. Right. And so they come down, they make that 20 minute drive to, you know, come down and have good beer and enjoy what we have to offer. So of course, January, you know, in this industry, just, and just like any hospital industry is slow. There's nothing that you can do about it. But yeah. we're able to, um, with our numbers that we do, able to go in through that and still be successful. Yeah, my GM here, who you know, of course, uh, Tim, Kevin and I threaten every year to just be closed in January. Every year we just were like... And we're like, we're just ready to do it. But the numbers are just enough that you can't quite close, but you hate being open. It's just there. Exactly. <laughs> I know. It's like just there. So we just had a meeting last week. It's like, all right, do we do Tuesdays? Do we not do Tuesdays? You know, all that. It's like, what do we do? It's just January. It is. And so that's, I used to really stress out about it. And nowadays, and even, like even my my family would be like, don't talk to Justin about January. But honestly, <laughs> maybe it's just getting older and doing it longer. Now I'm like, it's just January. You just don't even worry <laughs> about it. Man, yeah. You could beat your head against the wall about it, or you could just move on, you know. 28 years of doing this now and being on both brewery side and restaurant side, it literally is just January. Yeah, That's yeah. what it is. Well, and yeah. part of it is like I would be down, I, you know, I'm um, a little bit of a narcissist, so I always would think, you know, I'm smart enough to solve this January problem. And then I'd <laughs> fail every year. So I, <laughs> I'd be like, no, it turns out I'm just not even smart enough to solve this January problem. So it is what it is. Um, okay. Well, before uh, talking a little uh, more about the, the beer in my glass, I've got a new one. Um, I did want to talk about brewery growth um, because uh, in my notes, Seth, I have that you guys were like 250 barrels year one, albeit maybe a short year because you started in October or something. I don't know where that short math year. is coming. Yeah. But yeah. however you do the math, I think you're doing something like a little over 4,500 barrels in 2023, and that's some massive growth. Yeah, we've we've been lucky. Um, yeah, short year in 2017, um, but... Yeah, 2018 to about 2020, 2021. We've had some healthy um, growth, uh, but it's been recently where we've kind of plateaued at okay. that 4,500 mark. That's the business. Yeah, it's the industry it's, right now. Yeah, it's what's happening right now, it seems like. Um, but that's a healthy which number. Which is unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. You know, that's like a, that's above the threshold where you're not really as profitable as by the way, I'm speaking in generalities, of course. That's above the threshold where you're not quite as profitable as you want to be, but below the threshold where you have to start looking for other ways to to make more beer or store more beer. So, yeah. it's kind of I'm just saying, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a nice plateau to be at. At that spot. I think Seth's frozen. It's a nice plateau to be at for sure. Uh, you know, out the space that 
that um, we're capable of growing into. So that is one of the things that, uh, you know, is in the back of our minds in terms of, you know, what next steps look like. But yeah, um, yeah just the way that the industry is, the market is right now, it's, yeah, we got to wait it out and see what happens. Yeah, I was just reading the uh, Bart Watson from the Brewers Association, his 2023, you know, beer and review report that he does every year. And um, I don't, you know, I don't, especially coming from Bart, Bart's a very optimistic guy, they're, they're beer economist. Um, but it's hard to read, like, you know, it's stagnant kind of across the, the industry. There's just, it's what, what he defines as a slow growth industry right now. Whereas we were such a rapid growth industry for so long, it's not that there's no growth. It's just that now in our maturity, we've become a a slow growth industry, at least for the time being. Um, Right. But you still saw really good growth in 2020, you were saying? Because you were kind of saying like from from 18 to 21, it was still going great. Uh, So 2020 didn't, didn't hit you guys hard? Didn't, didn't hit us too hard. I mean, yeah, even during the start of COVID um, with our canning line, we were able to pivot fairly well, you know, able to put what was in their cellar into, into cans or into bottles. Um, we were lucky enough to, to be able to do that. Got it. Um, you know, those first couple of years, we, you know, still grew, still did fairly well for ourselves. And it's been more recently where we've, started to plateau and that you know again just without being sort of down on the industry or anything that's one of the frustrating parts i think about being a a craft brewer right now is that it's kind of like hey man we got through covid like we got through that part we're still open we 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 solved those problems we moved to cans we did this and now we're seeing the problem. Like, no. <laughs> it's a frustrating. You're like, yeah. I thought we did the hard part. I thought we got through this. What happened to the Roaring Twenties? We were, didn't everybody say we we're supposed to have the Roaring Twenties after that, and it's just <laughs> not really shown up that way. I always said, especially, and you can go back to my shows during the COVID shows. I was like, there's going to be this kind of like PTSD after covid where like we we've gotten through this everyone just charged ahead and we just kept moving so we didn't notice how much it was affecting us mentally and all that and we're going to see like a brewer and an industry ptsd and i was wrong because it hasn't stopped like the the challenges have been relentless like first you, then it became um ingredients and supply chain issues and like because so in, so I was only wrong on the timing. The PTSD is still going to happen. It just keeps getting moved, you know, <laughs> while we figure this stuff out. Um, yeah. But to stay stable, to not have dropped, I mean, that's that's an awesome thing, you know. So you guys are doing something right. Yeah, yeah I have heard that, you know, from from outside opinions that you know to be to be flat is is the new positive. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not. <laughs> Totally. It's not a super positive <laughs> statement. But, it's not. Um, but we have to adjust our expectations to these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so. on a very positive note, let's talk about this West Coast IPA in my glass, because this is a West Coast IPA through and through. It's like clean and dry and obviously crystal clear on the light SRM side, which I really like. Um, this is a solid West Coast IPA. Which is called straight up, straight up, straight, straight up. up. There we go. Yeah, Tim, did you have him send me this instead of Hazy's, knowing that I would be more favorable to it? 
Is that what happened? Uh, no, I know that you're a pale ale man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we didn't have any true pale ales on. So I was like, hey, let's let's go with this. You know, it's we released that in March. Right, Seth? That was kind of our yeah, new March. big uh, core four item that we really wanted to push because there wasn't a big dominant West Coast IPA. We have one called Common Over Denali, which is really, really good, which is out right now as well. But that came to be kind of our core four and the philosophy behind it is straight up because it's just straight up pure ingredients. You know, there's nothing, we're not messing around with it. We're just trying to give you a straight up West coast IPA. And that's what it did with a lot of like citrus and stone fruit coming out of it. Um, what, yeah. What are the hops in, that you decided on in this beer? So this beer, uh, hot side is a little bit of Cascade, and then in the Whirl, um, some Idaho Seven Cascade, and then in the dry hop, currently it's um, some of our selected Mosaic, Simcoe Cryo, a little bit of Citra, and a little bit of Idaho Seven, just to mirror what we do outside. That's a champion pick right there. All of those. That's a, those are those are some good moves. I love Idaho Seven, by the way. Um, I love Idaho Seven as well. Yeah, and it's I always want to say that that I that it's underutilized, but that's not true. Brewers know it's awesome. It's the consumers. You know, it's not the sexy hop that the com- consumers will talk about. Mosaic. They'll talk about Citra. Yeah. Now they talk about Simcoe. Um, they don't talk about Idaho Seven, and uh, I kind of like it that way. It's like a brewer's secret, but it's just yeah. awesome hop. Um, Especially blended from a with, branding perspective, it's not probably not the best name, right? Yeah. In terms of what it delivers, I think it's an awesome pop. Yeah, it's it's so good. And and what yeah, about we, yeast on this? Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. We also use that in a double dry hop for a hazy that we did as well. So it it just goes. It's such a versatile hop, and it's delicious. Yeah, and it just I don't know that I've ever had a only Idaho 7 beer, like a single hop beer. And I think that's because brewers have told me it, it it plays so well with other hops that that's what you use it for. It's not like the mm-hmm. one that you use as a single hop. Um, but yeah. yeah, you throw it with some mosaic, there you go. Um, yeah. Okay, so what about yeast? Just clean, like we're talking Cal Ale here, Chico yeast? Yeah, Cal Ale, the low one. Specific, oh, so White Labs too? Yep. Yeah. Nice. Smart. You must listen to the show. You got to use white labs. <laughs> um, and fermented, uh, fermented cold. Like, uh, nope. Okay. Knockout at sixty six and set the glycol at sixty eight. Sixty eight. Okay. So so pretty yep. normal. I asked just because recently I've heard of people just going even lower with that. Which Chris White has been talking for years about. He he's like, you can do it at seventy two. You can do it at sixty two. The yeast doesn't seem to care. Uh, brewers, of course, start to notice nuances in their own brew house. And so recently I've heard brewers being like, ah, oh, sixty four with my Cal Ale, sixty five, um, yes. and it's been churning out some great beer. So, nice. um, yeah, we haven't really played with temp on that strain but uh pitch rate for sure yeah yeah i don't think you need to with this one it came out great um and then uh, something i haven't asked about any of the beers they're all brilliantly clear are you centrifuge filter fining what do you got there yeah so up until the what about a year ago not no nine months ago um we were just transferring with with a pump and for any of our brands that we wanted to be bright in the bright tank, we'd, we'd biofine. 
Um, But yeah, right around January, we uh, purchased a TrueScent centrifuge. Okay. So we've been running all of our beer through that unit um, for, yeah, the last nine months or so. Would you call that the best addition to your brewery since building your brewery, do you think? Aside from people? But equipment wise, of course, yeah, of course. yeah. <laughs> um, from a from a quality standpoint, I think it's made a, a vast improvement. Yeah, yeah. Especially in our hazies, in terms of uh, material in the can, uh, mouth feel, it's it's been a huge addition. It's it's helped improve yields and our bright tank turn times. But I I, I really think the big uh, contribution of that unit has been on quality nice i love hearing you say uh, that it on hazies i'm so glad that you were like it's most impactful on our hazies because a small brewery out here in california blew my mind like three years ago saying oh yeah no we run all of our hazies through a centrifuge and it sounded so counterintuitive to me like why on earth would you do that and of course he explained that it makes it makes all the sense in the world you know hazy beer is not about having a bunch of yeast or other things in solution right um so you're getting that shit out and still a great hazy beer so yeah if your haze is stable it's going to pass through that centrifuge and you're just pulling hop and trube and yeast right right stuff that like the early days of the new england hazy beers and certainly then the west coast hazy beers like were full of as people were still trying to figure out how to make that style, you know? Yeah. So do you want to give away any, uh, any yeast or sorry, any haze stability tips and tricks? Uh, you know, I don't think we have any that, (laughs) that aren't readily available on the, on the internet. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can hear from any other brewery, but, um, yeah, we're pretty heavy with, uh, flaked oat, uh, white wheat, in addition to two row. Um, some of our brands use chit malt, um, carafoam. And then, yeah, we harvest and dry hop at day five and that seems to form a stable haze on the back end. And yeah, okay. we haven't really changed much from there. All right. Have you had any uh, hop creep issues in your hoppy beers? Oh, definitely. <laughs> like everybody. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, we almost, so with that uh, day five dry hop, we're, mm. we're actually at this point relying on that, that creep to take over over the course of the next few days after dry hop and help us attenuate the beer. All um, right. So we're dry hopping. I think we're right around five and a half Play-Doh typically. Okay. Maybe, maybe closer to five and then finishing for Northern haze, our, uh, hazy IPA. We're looking for that beer to finish around three, six. Wow. So you're accounting for that in your final ABV, like your recipe is going to say one thing, but you know, you got to add half a percent or 1% or whatever in ABV because of that hop creep. We, uh, we dry hop, uh, you know, not as early as, as some breweries, it sounds like, but yeah, okay. we dry hop at day five, knowing that part of that dry hop, that hop creep starting is going to help us finish that fermentation. Yeah. Whereas with something like straight up, we're dry hopping closer to a half a degree Play-Doh from terminal. I see. Okay. Wow. So, so quite a difference then because of hop creep. Yeah. 
so give me, I don't know, uh, one of your most popular hazies. How many pounds per barrel of hops are we talking here? I guess in the total beer, not just dry hop, right? In the total beer on Northern Haze, I think we're three and two thirds. Okay. Okay. And a ton of that is in the dry hop, I would uh, assume. Yeah. Most of that. um, Yeah. Quite a bit in the whirl and then the rest in the dry hop. Okay. All right. That's not too expensive. That's why you're not out of business yet. It's a three, you know, three and so barrels. (laughs) Trying trying to be better about watching. (laughs) Are you are you messing with new hot products uh, to to try to get better uh, about that? Like the you know the I know you mentioned cryo in another beer, I think so. Yeah. Cryo extract stuff like that to to keep working that system. Cryo for sure. Um, cryo more and more is making its way into especially the some of the hazy brands. Um, we haven't moved on to some of the flowable hot products, but. That's definitely on the radar for R&D upcoming. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking to brewers recently. It seems to me like that flowable hot products are going to be super helpful in the future, yeah. especially as raw ingredients have gotten so crazy expensive, you know. Right. So all the way down the line. So by the time you're a bar, by the time you're a retailer like me, as as Tim knows, like yeah, we've we've we're now the fourth person to upcharge the beer, right? Like <laughs> you had right. to do it because your ingredients went up, and then the distributor, and then me. Like it just yeah yeah. yeah. All right, well I've got one more beer to try, uh, and I think it's Tim's favorite beer happening right now at your brewery. Um, it's called Winter Woods American IPA, also a clear beer, um, but it's made with spruce tips, so. One adjunct, I guess, uh, to this one, right? Yeah, base beer is just uh, American IPA, again. Um, pretty simple grist. It's um, some Marar Pills, some Vienna, some wheat malt, some Carafoam. Um, a little bit of Columbus to bitter, some Mosaic Cryo late in the boil. And then the whirl is... Um, Mosaic, Simcoe, and uh, spruce tips also are included in the in the hot whirlpool. So we're sourcing uh, spruce tips from Spruce on Tap in Colorado. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, you- <laughs> and, yeah and, and that they just extract it for you. Is that what it is? No. It, so if I understand correctly, they're harvesting in the spring, um, okay. and then vacuum sealing and and freezing. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, so we receive, uh, what is that? It's a pound per barrel in the world. Okay. And yeah, just steep it hot side. And it tastes like everything I want out of a Christmas beer without all the spices and bullshit that yeah. I don't want in a Christmas beer. Right. <laughs> doesn't it? Like it has that. And I know it, it, well, it's spruce tips. Like, you know, for the folks at home, it definitely tastes like, like it, ha- like you would expect spruce tips, but when it's blended with the rest of the beer, it's not just there's nothing harsh about it. It just kind of tastes like Christmas, but not overpowering at all. I love it. It's yeah. a good beer. Like I used to, the old school beer guys love Anchor Christmas Ale. Rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> 
But to me, it's way too much, like of all those other things. And then the same with any other kind of Christmas ale where there's nutmeg and I don't want that stuff in my beer. This is like a perfect compromise to wanting a Christmas beer, but also liking beer flavored beer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really good. Yeah, I think. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think the hop blend and the, you know, that really nice light citrus quality coming from the spruce tips merge really well. You yeah. know, the tips are not so resiny that it's just pine mouth coating. It's, it's nice and light and still citrusy and yeah, how they interplay with the, with the dry hop, I think works really nice in this brand. I love it. The malt build on it is just delicious too, as well, because it adds that sweetness to cut with that bitterness of both the pine and the yeah. hop. It's just very well blended, and you get a good overall mouthfeel and a great flavor from the bitterness of the hops, from the actual spruce tips, and then again from the malt. It's just it, it's a really good you know winter style American pale or American IPA. And then it dries out enough at the end, again, so that all of that stuff sort of disappears for you and you're ready for another sip. Um, yep. As opposed to beers that are a little too sweet with other spices and things in them. Like those those mm-hmm. things kind of linger for me too long. But this, yeah, dries right out. In fact, what did this finish at? What? Because it's a very dry IPA. Uh, well, Target. This finished at two and a half Play-Doh. Okay. So not not super dry. Not as dry. It tastes... It, it, the mouthfeel and the taste is drier than that. I, I feel like it, it's yeah. it's tasting drier than it is. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's delicious. Tim, didn't you say before the show that it's a it's a beer that you guys have used to blend in the tap room too, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been playing around with blends and just having fun with our regulars that come in, and we get those like, "Hey, just pour me a beer," type of guy, you know. And so i play around and this is a good one especially this time of year to blend with and play with um i've currently been blending it with a triple ipa that we have um so you get an american ipa with spruce tips and then a triple ipa and you know it's like it's like you're drunk in the woods or a winter (laughs) camping trip you know and that's what it reminds me of you know it's like just being in the woods in the winter and just having a nice cozy beer to snuggle up with yeah you guys might have to uh, explore that brand drunk in the woods is pretty good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> I don't know if the TTV will let it leave the building named that, yeah. but it's a great name in the building. I like that. <laughs> uh, well, the the beers are great, guys. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and sending me all this stuff. Uh, you're you're making some really good things out there, as also shown by uh, the amount of awards you guys have gotten since uh, 2018. I think you got your first award, according to my list. So. You guys have been mm-hmm. brewing some good stuff. Um, thanks for sharing it. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, I'm just going to take what I got left over and go home and drink it, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. <laughs> now send it back. Good. Send yeah, it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sent a little extra, and I'm definitely going to share it with Kevin, Tim, because he wants to know how you're doing, and I'm going to tell him that you're, that you're working for a good brewery. So you got that going for you. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to him and his boy just had a third birthday. So congratulations to that. And I miss all you guys. Love you all. Yeah, you too, man. And thanks for uh, bringing True North to our attention. Um, Obviously, if either of you are uh, coming out to the West Coast, you let us know and and I'll do the same if I find my my way back east there. So sounds great. man. Hey, great. Let's share it. 
Yes, absolutely. All right, folks. Well, that is True North Ale Company. Um, that's Seth Barnum and Tim Griggs. Uh, you can go to truenorthales.com if you want to learn more, find out where you get it. You guys sell beer outside, obviously, your production facility. So um, can you can you find out where to find your beer on the website? Is there a where is True North? Let's see. Uh, there, Yeah, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, Massachusetts and a little bit in Rhode Island currently right now and uh, looking to build more. So okay. those are the three states that we're distributing to right now. Um, and then, of course, come to the Tap Room in Ipswich, Mass., and that's where you can find us. And you guys have an event space at the Tap Room too, Tim? Yeah, we have an awesome event space holding corporate structured events, huge events, reunions, all kinds of high school gatherings, everything. So we can hold up uh, live bands. We do live music. We do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, there's definitely something always going on here at the Tap Room, and it's it's just a fun fun place to be. Excellent. Go to truenorthales.com. You can check it all out there. Find out more. You can learn about their event space. You can probably reach Tim through the website if you want to book the event space. There's a shop on there. It's a really great website, so go check it out. truenorthales.com. And all right, guys. Well, thank you again for for spending the time with me, uh, even even, uh, with the time difference. I I super appreciate it. And uh, I hope to try more of your beer soon. Uh, maybe if you go to the Great American Beer Festival, I gotta I gotta scope you out and see if I can get some of the other brands you guys are selling. So that'd be nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you, True North Ales, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll be back with more next week. In fact, my next show, and now this is gonna sound completely boring, but brewery owners are gonna love it. We're, for the, and I never ever thought I would do this in the history of of the Brewing Network. I never thought I'd be doing a show on taxes in your in your brewery <laughs> but i have this amazing cpa out here who's been helping me here at the hop grenade and he works with a ton of breweries and he sent me this idea for a show on brewery taxes and i was like you know what man i think our listeners our pro listeners obviously are gonna love that topic so coming up next here on the brewing network brewery taxes i won't put you to sleep i promise i'll ask all the dumb questions for you and you're gonna get some free tax advice that would normally cost you a lot of money right here at the end of the year when you need it so that's our next show here on the brewing network everybody take care of yourselves and your beer we'll talk to you next time The Session is a production of The Brewing Network and brought to you by More Beer. Check them out at morebeer.com. Find more content and live video of this show on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brewingnetwork. For sponsorship opportunities and information, please reach out to advertising at thebrewingnetwork.com. To reach our hosts, contact feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com. 